Welcome. How are you doing, Heather? Hello. Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing real well. I'm very excited to be talking with you today. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> I just walked upstairs. I'm very excited to be talking with you today. This topic is something that I am passionate about. It affects my life. It affects all our lives. And that being diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and the role of learning in helping advance that. So if you would share a little bit about yourself and the work that you've done in this research. Yeah, great. Uh, so I'm a senior analyst with Red Thread Research. Uh, for those of you who don't know about Red Thread Research, we're a research and advisory firm that writes about the, the interest, what we think are the interesting topics in uh, HR and HR tech. So diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging and learning are two big things that we've followed for a number of years. Um, and I just finished leading a piece of research on uh, diversity, equity, inclusion of belonging and learning, specifically focusing on this idea of learning equity. So the title of this session, for those of you who may have seen it on LinkedIn, um, are, is learning equity, the future of DEIB and learning. And um, as we were going through and thinking about, you know, we want to write something about DEIB and learning and what should we write about? What we realized was that there was kind of a massive hole uh, around the systems of employee development and um, the the you know so learning learning functions in general tend to focus a lot on okay if we want to do more on DEIB let's do more diversity training or let's do more training and our thinking was we don't actually need any more training what we need is to have more equitable actual learning right. Uh, so that was what the research was about. And you know, I'm excited to talk about it. Well, let, let's get into it because I yeah. couldn't agree more because there is so much. Um, and I say this compassionately. I don't say this critically. Noise, particularly in this space, rightly so, over the last few years has gotten even higher attention. You know, even though diversity councils and the like have been around for 20 plus years, the yeah resourcing of those initiatives has been modest at best. However, last few years, it's been not only top of mind, it's been top of priority. There's money going to it, but then it invites the question, is that money, are those resources being spent effectively? So I love the snapshot into the research that I received. So, you know, get us started here. You know, yeah. what is the uh, outcome and what are some of the ideas that the research highlighted? Yeah, well, and it's interesting that you mentioned this about um, investment in in DEIB. What we noticed was L and D functions, as you said, like there's been a lot of investment in or in DEIB by organizations as a, as a whole in the last couple of years. What we've seen in the last year is that L and D functions in particular are doing are saying they want to do more on DEIB, and they're thinking about how do we get involved, what can we do, how can we be most effective, where do we invest that you know, those dollars. Um, and so, you know, our, what this research said, the argument is you need to focus not on, um, on developing necessarily employee skills or, or broadening awareness. Like those are sort of foundational, but what you need, where you really need to be thinking about is, um, what we're calling learning equity. So look at who is getting access to, or, uh, learning, why are those people getting access to learning? Are you missing people, right? Who is actually participating in learning and why? And what's preventing, you know, there are, there are a lot of very systemic obstacles um, to th that employees, well, so here, um, 
let me go. Let me just, let me slip. Can I, can we show the next slide? Sorry. Ab absolutely. We can yeah. do anything you want, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So show, show this slide. So um, one of the people that we talked to in this research was uh, Kate Shaw, who's, who's the head of learning at DEIB. And what she said is um, DEIB has to be not just a piece of what you do, but woven through everything you do. And um, I loved this because um, it is the it is sort of the essence of this idea of learning equity that we've latched onto in this research, right? So it's thinking about, um, and what, well, what she talked about was you have to not only um, do diversity training, you have to think about how do we actually look both horizontally and vertically at what we're doing through a DEIB lens and make sure that our work is as diverse and equitable and inclusive as possible. So for her, what that meant was horizontally, I'm on, she's on, you know, she's on part of, on the leadership team, on the senior leadership team. So she's working cross-functionally with her peers um, to make sure that, that the learning effort, that the L&D functions efforts are aligned with sort of the DEIB strategy as a whole. But then also she is responsible for making sure that all of her, uh, the people in her department are looking at the programs they're, they're delivering and the, um, not just the programs they're delivering, but every, every learning opportunity that they are supporting and saying, who might not have access to this? Is that right? Um, why might they not have access to this? How can I open the aperture for, um, for learning? You know, how can I open the aperture and make sure that more employees from more groups um, are able to to participate in all of the development opportunities that they should be able to participate in? Um, yeah. yeah, keep going, keep going. I have a question yeah. that's emerging. And by the way, if you're listening and participating, by all means, in the chat, whether it be on LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter, enter your questions or uh, comments into the comment section, and we'll get to them if if we can. But Heather, please continue. Yeah, so I think, uh, let me back up a little bit and say, and speak to this idea of learning equity and why is it important, right? It, you know, beyond the fact that it is, it's the, just the right thing to do, you know, to ensure that as many employees as possible have as much access as possible to development. Like, why is this, why is it important to think about learning equity? And um, so if you think about the, the moment that we are in right now with a tightening labor market and heavy inflation. And I was, so I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago and there was just a huge sense from the HR leaders that we talked to that sort of changes in the air that, that organizations are going to be forced to pivot again, like they did at the beginning of COVID. Um, that there's, there's, there's something that's going to be happening and organizations are going to need to be responsive, need to be agile. And we don't quite know what that is. And, um, and if you think about what learning equity really is, it's about ensuring that uh, as many, so um, the, there are systemic obstacles that prevent some groups of employees from participating in development that will help them grow their careers and help their organizations compete and succeed. And so learning equity is about removing those obstacles so that more employees can get to where they need to be and where their organizations need them to be in order to be able to tackle these pivots that we don't, that we sense are coming, but we don't quite know what they are. Yeah. 
And what you're, what I'm hearing is that is beyond the learning itself. It's yeah. the access to the learning. It's the access to opportunities, the being recognized for key contributions. So it's not just the learning. It is. Yeah. The, yeah, exactly. The, the, so your, the system. <laughs> yeah. 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 So if you, um, here, let me show this. Can you, can you pop up the slide and, uh, absolutely. What we what we saw in this research is that there are sort of three elements of employee development or three parts of employee development where these obstacles tend to systemically come up. So um, the first is discovery, literally how employees find development opportunities. So, you know, there are lots of different ways they can do this. They can get an email from the L&D function. They can go search in the on the Internet or in the Internet or whatever. They can get recommendations from um from peers or from their managers or for, from the LXP itself. Um, so there are lots of ways that employees find development opportunities. And again, the, the key is that there are sort of systemic obstacles uh, that some groups of employees fairly consistently encounter that, that prevent them from discovering opportunities that they should be able to discover. Um, and then access is which employees can take advantage of opportunities if they want to. So they know about the opportunity do they have the right, uh, you know, permissions in the in the learning system to actually take that course? Do they have the right internet connection to access the the opportunity? Do they have, you know, whatever the time to go do that rotation? Uh, lots of different things. And again, right, I'm, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but again, there are sort of systemic obstacles that prevent some employees from having the access that they should. Um, and then participation yep. is literally, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I want to jump in and ask a question, uh, particularly around uh, discovery, because if I'm uh, reading this correctly and interpreting it uh, yeah. in the way that you like, is that it's really about the awareness of mm -hmm. it and the ability, to your point, to to access it within the flow of work when, when yeah. I need it, when, when it's suitable to me. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, that's a part of it, right? So transparency is a big part of the solution to some of these obstacles for discovery. Um, so uh, two two of the biggest um, challenges for discovery are um, the way that need is defined in organizations, right? So a lot of times um, you, you'll only, see, you know, as an employee, I'll only, if I go to the LXP, I'll only see the uh, courses that are, um, uh, you know, directly tied to my current role or my current development path. But let's say that I'm, you know, in marketing and I'm interested in finance or I'm in finance and I'm interested in marketing or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an artist, but I know that data science is really important. I might not even know what um, opportunities are available to me uh, just because of the way that the organization has set the, per, you know, set the the parameters in the learning system for what I'm able to search for or what I'm able to see. Um, so that's sort of a one very um, technical thing that that um, creates barriers. Another one has to do with um, informal networks. So a lot of in a lot of uh, organizations, the best you know rotation opportunities or the best stretch assignments, the best gig opportunities, which are often the best ways to grow in a lot of way, in a lot of situations, um, those come through personal networks, right? So I find about, I find out about that opportunity as an employee because I know someone who knows someone, mm. or I get that introduction to a mentor because I know someone who knows something, someone. And that type of um, informal network is inherently privileged, right? So 
um, one one of the things that LND functions can do is try and bring um, some transparency to what's available so that you can try and get a, get around some of these sort of technical and uh, informal network issues that are causing obstacles. Yeah, I'm smiling because <laughs> um, uh, social network analysis, organizational net yeah. network analysis has you know, elevated in prominence, uh, particularly given what you know Microsoft and others are, are doing in the space, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Uh, with that awareness, you know, what is the shift and for what purpose? And what I'm hearing you say is that if we can provide access through these more informal networks, we nurture those networks, then there's going to be better access to these learning opportunities that will embedder the individual and to your point, their ability to contribute, innovate and do all those you know, good things. And I understand too, that you've isolated high performing organizations relative yeah. to, to others that have highlighted not only the humanistic need for this or, or value of this, but the, the business value as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to show the slide, but to your point, actually, you just said um, that one of the ways that one of the things LND can do is is support the informal networks. That's true. So I would say yes and to that because um, you're not even if you support informal networks, you're still not going to bring the the level of transparency. You're still going to miss people, right? Mm -hmm. People mm -hmm. are still there's still going to be people who are going to be inherently uh, disadvantaged. And so one of the things that um, we're seeing LD functions do is think about what, how can we actually change our systems? How can we change? How can we implement maybe uh, tech tools that will bring some of this transparency? So talent marketplaces are one of the biggest examples of this, right? So let's let's not keep the information about what opportunities exist in people's heads. Let's put it all in a system that is searchable by anyone so that even if people don't um have at, even if they they're not able to participate in that opportunity, even if they aren't given access to the opportunity, at least they could see it's there and they could start envisioning for themselves like, oh, that's something that is a path I might be interested in. What do I need to do to build myself to get there? Right. Yeah, I I love that you're bringing in talent marketplaces in the relative to the learning domain, mm -hmm. uh, because talent marketplaces are offered in recruiting or talent yeah. acquisition, uh, workforce planning, uh, but it also relates to, to your yeah. point, internal mobility, uh, skill development in, yeah. on down the line. So, you know, love yeah. it. So and that, I'll bring up that slide. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, we're Please. going off on a tangent, but that actually, one, one of the things that we found in this research is that um, a lot of these, the suggestions for what L&D can do, a lot of the things we found require L&D functions to work across work cross-functionally to implement some of the solutions, right? So talent marketplaces, L&D functions often don't own them. They're going to have to work with some of the t other teams, in, particularly in HR, but always, often across the business. Um, yeah, and I would put forth that yeah, and I would put forth too that it's not yeah. even a, um, a tangent in my little head. It's it's core uh, because yeah. when you yeah. talk about systemic, you know, it's it's beyond yeah. you know learning uh, yeah. and beyond sure. you know just recruiting. It's like you know, thinking systematically, which relates to governance, which you know is arguably beyond the scope of today's talk. That's the tangent, but but still, I, it's just something that's worth highlighting. And if you're seeing that as well in your research, you know that's yeah. validating absolutely. So thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. So here's this slide. Yeah, that here's we keep talking slide. over. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we surveyed um, about 1,500 employees from across the globe. Um, it was, you know, 
about 50% individual contributors, mostly from North America and Europe. So that's just to give you a sense of the data set. Um, but what we found, we, ha we had in the survey um, a, a, a business index, right? So we measured four different business outcomes and, and averaged those. And the top 25% of the, or the people in that index, uh, we labeled as, high as being in high-performing organizations. That's how we got to this high-performing organizations versus everyone else. And what we found, though, is that when we asked employees in um, whether their organizations made development opportunities more transparent, far more employees in high-performing organizations agreed with that statement than uh, or than employees in other organizations. And so um, what we took from that is that one of the things that L&D functions can do um, to that, that transparency is key, right? So transparency is sort of one of these foundational, fundamental things that L&D functions can do to bring more learning equity to their organizations, right? So they just simply opening the aperture for employees on what's available, what what paths are open to them, what um, uh, what opportunities they could potentially participate in, even if they're not prepared for it now. Um, that is sort of the the first step, I think, um, right. in what organiz what L&D functions can do. Got it. No, I, I love yeah. it. And we can talk all day about transparency yeah. and what that means and how to do it. But but I know you have some more uh, information yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the other things, let me, I'll just, I'll give you all of the, um, all, all the data that we, uh, that we found from the survey. So the next thing um, that we found was that High-performing organizations also offer more equal access to development. So they're not only um, showing employees what's available, they are opening access to opportunities as much as they possibly can. So um, what that means is, you know, a lot of times there are, and again, this goes back to sort of the permissions issue in the learning in the learning systems, like who is is given access to different courses. Um, a lot of times there's content in a learning system that's actually free or margin, like the marginal cost to open the the, the content to any employee in the, in the organization um, is, is often fairly low. And yet, um, because of this narrow definition of need, the the actual employees that are given permission to to access those courses is really is fairly small. So it would be one sort of really easy thing. Well, I, you know, easy in quotation marks. It's conceptually easy. Um, I think the logistics of it might be more difficult in some organizations, especially bigger ones. But, um, uh, you know, one of the things that L&D functions can do is just look at what opportunities are available. How much would it actually cost to make this opportunity available to everyone in the organization, no matter what function they're in, no matter what job role they're in, uh, you know. Yeah, and, if I can just jump in there real no. quick, I number one, I couldn't agree more, and it invites the question about how learning uh, providers price their yeah. services because yeah. you know if it's per seat, it gets exorbitant cost, yep. and you know, yeah, it is a marginal cost not only for the organization, hopefully, but for the supplier of the learning experience yeah you know so i would hope as we move forward that there's more openness to more flexible pricing models to elevate that access that you're talking about would you yeah. uh, agree with that and have you seen that taking hold 
Yeah, I love that point. Um, I haven't, I have not actually asked any vendors whether they're considering changing their pricing models um, to do that. One Let's thing, do I mean, it. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I would say is, you know, a, a lot of vendors are very responsive to client pressures and client requests. And so um, the more, especially, especially for startups, um, the more that we can, as L&D functions, sort of ask for that kind of thing. I think that's a great idea. Well, everyone's in a blue moon. Thank you, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> but I know you have like participation data as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about participation data. Uh, so the same data set. And what we found, so um, to give you a little context about what's on the left, this plan, discover, consume experiment, uh, the way that Red Thread thinks about learning, learning and employee development, there are six behaviors, six key behaviors that employees need to engage in in order in order to fully participate in uh, development uh, in development and learning develop uh, learning and development. So they need to be able to plan their uh, careers and their development what development opportunities they want to take advantage of. They need to be able to, to discover those opportunities, which we just talked we already talked about. They need to be able to consume those opportunities, right? So read that book, do that rotation, whatever. They need to be able to experiment with new knowledge and skills. They need to be able to connect with others for uh, for growth, for learning and growth. And they need to be able to perform better on the job and uh, learn while doing it. And so in the survey, we asked, um, we asked employees, to what extent does your organization enable you to do each of these behaviors, right? And then the six behaviors together encompass what we consider to be participation in employee development. And what you see is that there's there's massive difference between high-performing organizations and everyone else, right? So high-performing organizations are enabling employees to, to engage in all six of these participation behaviors at a much higher rate than, uh, than other organizations. And what's yeah. really interesting for this, um, this discussion on learning equity, we looked, we sliced and diced this data by a bunch of different demographics, right? So we looked at it. How does it differ if by frontline status, right? If you're a frontline employee or not, by gender, by age, by um, race or ethnicity. Um, and what was interesting was that these differences held for all of those demographics. There, in in almost every case, high performing or employees were reporting, employees in high performing organizations were reporting that they were enabled to do these six behaviors at a higher rate than employees in other organizations. And that was across demographic groups. And then I thought, well, if we're not seeing it across, you know, if we're not seeing differences in within demographic groups, what about intersectionality, right? Can I see, like, what if black men or black women are, are not enabled at the same rate as other employees? So I did that analysis and it turns out that wasn't the case either. So across the board, high-performing organizations are, are just, blanket statement enabling more participation. And I think it's, so I think my, my takeaway from that is that it's very much a sort of rising tide lifts all boats situation right now, where what, what LD functions fundamentally, like the first thing that they wanna do is, is increase participation, all participation. Um, and then once that's happening, once they're doing that at the rate that high-performing organizations are doing it, then you start looking for pockets of who might not be participating, who and why. Because anecdotally, and in the quality, you know, in the research, in the 
uh, interviews and roundtables. We heard like LD functions know that there are pockets of, of of people in their organizations who are not participating at the rate of other people. So we mm -hmm. know the problem is just not showing up in, in this data. And I think that's because um, the pockets are smaller than a broad demographic group, right? So, so LED functions need to first enable more participation and then be very targeted about, okay, who in our organization, what groups of employees in our organization are not participating and why, and how can we fix them? Fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, a great call out. And uh, yeah, what you're saying at the end of the day about learning equity. And so participation, there are likely constraints that are prohibiting participation. Uh, and it could be hierarchical, it could be the nature of the work, the job families, or, or, or what have you, but it, it, yeah. it requires discovery in yeah. each unique organization, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, true. exactly. And like, for example, one of the one of the things we heard a lot is um, time, right? So who, which employees feel like they have time, that differs based on, uh, you know, often whether they're a frontline employee or not, how much time do they have to actually, you know, carve out something, some time for learning um, during their workday versus not. Um, but we also heard a lot about, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting hoarse. <laughs> sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also heard a lot about, um, and, and, you know, there, this has been written about quite a bit, um, uh, caretakers, right? So parents or people who might not have the um, ability to go off to a couple of days of in-person training, but providing some sort of other method for that opportunity. So like, you know, putting it online or doing it as a, you know, broken up schedule, something like that, being more crafty about um, allowing more different people with different needs to participate uh, becomes really important. And so, you know, as we start to wrap here, I know, you know, we can talk about this and we say we nod our heads and yes, yes, yes. But there is yeah. some concerns that you have in looking at the research as well. Yeah. The elephant in the room, you mean? Correct. Yeah. So uh, it's 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 less of a concern and more of. Um, I think just a recognition, right? This is this is not a unique data set. This is our data, but I found, you know, when I was doing this research, when we did our lit review, there were at least two other data, data sets that I found that were very similar that show that LND functions are like overwhelmingly white. And, um, you know, I was talking to a, a LND professional who happens to be a black man and he articulated it this way. He said, if that's the case, then, we're inherently going to be missing uh, perspectives. We're going to be missing something in the opportunities that we offer and the decisions we make about our learning. And so if we're thinking about as an L&D function, if we're going to be looking at our own stuff, our own systems and processes and trying to make those as equitable and, and diverse as possible and inclusive as possible, there is like, it is almost a certainty that we are going to miss something if we're not bringing in more perspectives. And so the LED leaders that we talked to in this research were doing some really creative things, right? They were reaching out to DEIB, the DEIB teams. They were reaching out to ERG leaders. They were um, thinking about sort of how can we um, uh, long-term recruit, change the change the demographics of the LD function by, by implementing a long-term recruiting strategy. So they were doing all kinds of things to bring different perspectives onto the learning team because they were very con they were hyper conscious that they alone were not going to be 
um, not going to be able to make it as diverse and equitable and inclusive as they wanted it to be. And, and was so that was increasing perspectives. And was was that unique among the high performing organizations, or uh, or was that just um, you saw anecdotally um, as you did the the research? Yeah, it was it was mostly anecdotal. And so, but I just want to call this out because we touched on it earlier. Yeah, because it screams for me, and this is my own lens on which I view the world governance. It's yeah. like it's it's one thing to reach out kind of um, on an ad hoc basis, which is required sometimes, but it's also another thing to have discipline around it and regiment and say, as, as me as a diversity, equity, inclusion leader, I have confidence that learning is going to come to me when there's something to be considered and yeah. vice versa, that when I reach out, I'm doing so and I'm going to be received openly. I'm not going to be like, oh, what's that person you know, doing here? Let me go do my job. So that's one way to, correct me if I'm wrong, offset this yeah. predominance of white people in learning, yeah. at least over the short term. That's not going to change like that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, Really appreciate that call out. I know we're starting to wrap up here. And I also know that on June 14th, you're going to be doing another session with uh, your colleague, Danny Johnson. Is that right? Yes. Uh, and Claire Herring from a company called Blue Ocean Brain. Really excited about it. All right. Well, uh, go to uh, Red Thread uh, Research to learn more about that, redthreadresearch.com. And how can uh, people learn more about you, Heather? Uh, the best way is to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, Heather Gilmartin Adams, if you search for that, I should become, should come up. Um, and yeah, please do sign up for that webinar. That would be, that's the best way to find out about this research and looking forward to connecting with people. Well, Heather, again, super appreciate you, super appreciate what you all at Red Thread Research are doing. This is super enlightening discussion. I'm like, <laughs> I'm fired up right now. <laughs> I want to go you know, incorporate learning into some of these strategies around yeah. engagement, well-being, and certainly diversity, equity, and inclusion. So uh, thank you again. Uh, you be well and uh, hope to see you in person before too long. Yes. Thank you so much. All right. Be well. Bye-bye.